Their goal is to bring you a podcast that sounds more like everyone else. What are we talking about again? Then anyone else. We need to accept the fact that we are like every other podcast. Yeah, we want to be special, but we're not quite there yet. It's the Zenial Odyssey Podcast with Remy and Bobby Rocks. So I figured we could start just having a conversation about what we've noticed since we've launched. First off, kudos, Jamie Stu, Jamie Stewart. Jay Stu. And Rebecca Harvey. Those are our first two followers. So I want to give you guys a shout out. Rebecca, kudos. Rebecca and Jamie sitting yep. in a tree. L-I-S-T-E-N-I-N-G. A nice little uh, tie in there is they are all former people that we have worked with. Yeah, it's, yep. it's, it's a nice, interesting little circle. So welcome, people. Yeah. So what are some of your takeaways now that we have uh, episodes live for me um and are you talking about a self-evaluation or just pop culture or just where do i start you could do anything really when i'm specifically so in my mind where i go is the uh quality of the production yeah our topics our I, flow okay. so so my my takeaway has been this and, and i told i told rocks this a little while ago but i like what we're doing but to explain me and bobby's dynamic is something that I guess you guys eventually be familiar with, but he's much more the straight guy, and I'm like the wild Muppet with a hand up my ass, just yelling shit randomly. And I think that I may have dialed back that aspect a little bit too much. Are you like a Muppet or are you like Mr. Red? Or are you some kind of quasi-hybrid of the no, two? No, it's a mix, okay. you know? The the best visuals, you know when Muppets wave their arms because they're just puppets and it's just a strange flailing? That's me like 80% of the time. Oh, okay. But I think that I, I was so concerned with this coming across sanitized or pasteurized that I sort of dialed back the voice I could have. And I think that I need to potentially represent the other side of our debates a little bit more, even cool. if I don't agree with them. Well, in all fairness, Rem, we did talk about, I mean, this would be a safe place where we could come on and we could have differences. Uh, people could come on and have differences as well, and we can just talk our way through them and kind of try to find some common ground. So what better opportunity presenting itself to us than to have an episode where we're going to jump off on that? Yeah, I think, you know, I, it's been enjoyable, but I think that so far that it's it's a safe flavor of ice cream, and I think there's potential here where, like, we could make it Neapolitan. So I think that, for, I mean, I love what I've listened to, and I'm biased because I'm one of the people. But I just think that uh, my side of the, you're the first wing in the Hot Ones lineup, and I'm the fourth wing. And I've been playing it like the second wing, but I'm a little spicier than that. So I think that, that my angle now is going to be repping that a little, bit, a little bit more strongly. So it's not two people with the same tone and the same inflection and the same beliefs. I, I, I take offense to you saying that because I feel like I can be, I can be a little bit hotter on the, on the scalding scale. I, I see you as the wing that's not on the menu that you got to ask about. Oh, nice. Yeah, do you like that? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's a compliment. Yeah, see, see, I gave you a compliment, but I boosted myself up there too. Well, no, you got to keep in mind though, when I say the first wing, it's not an insult. You're the basis of the whole lineup. I mean, that's Okay, what, all right. Yeah, you're like in other words, you can't, ha you set the tone perfectly. That's why, oh, right. you know what I'm yep. saying? And, it, and that's, if you really watch Hot Ones, it, the first one always disarms them. They're like, oh, I got this. Then by the fourth wing, they might be talking to God. <laughs> so maybe eventually we can get him as a guest. I mean, God. But yeah, but I think it's been interesting. I think it's been, it, it's been a blast. 
Yeah. You well, know? you know, if you want, Jesus hangs out in the Kmart parking lot in Brockton. Like, <laughs> well, we were just at yeah. Walmart. We should have just gone to the K. <laughs> we should have done it right. All right. So with that said, I mean, what are we going to talk about today? Boomer parents. Who? Boomer parents. It came up in the uh, It's Always Sunny episode we did because we were talking about like Charlie's mom. Yeah. Yeah. So really, that's kind of the catalyst for what we're going to talk about today. You fucker. <laughs> and I'm not talking to Remy. I'm literally pointing at his phone and calling his phone a fucker right now. My phone is off. That dumb fuckery. See, I'm not that straight. You're right. There he is. Things, getting, things can agitate the fuck out of me, you're too. You're getting right. an unfiltered, right. unfiltered. But here's the thing. Okay, so first thing we have to say before we say anything, Bob, we're sorry, Mom and Dad. Yeah. Like, we love you. You did the best you can. But that they, I don't think it was good. I, I feel that there's good and bad to it. And so me being me, I'm going to try to be that objective. There you go. I'm going to focus on the good, but I'm also going to focus on the bad. I'm going to focus everywhere in between. I don't know where Rem's going to focus, but that's what the point of an odyssey is. We're going to go down that rabbit hole and see where it comes out. Awesome. Let's do this. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, should we play a song and then we'll come back and we'll just, we'll just jump off from there? Yeah. It has to be Mother by Glenn Danzig. It has to be thematic. <laughs> yeah. Most people know him for Mother. Mother's a great song. It's not as great a song because it's just it's been overplayed to the heavens. It's much by him. Right? Yeah. Him, Beavis and Butthead, and his live album where he put it as like the hundredth track, <laughs> uh, you know, like seven years after it came out. But that said, his album, How the Gods Kill, is a masterpiece. Yeah. In the last five years, he started making horror films, man. And oh my God. Bro. So the first one is called Son of a Bitch. It's not called that. Is it's, that what it's called? <laughs> no. Okay. No, I'm going to have to look it up on my phone because I watched it recently. It's a uh, mini erotica. There it is. Verotica, it's called. And it's based on a comic line he had, okay? And it's essentially, the comic was gore and softcore pornography, okay? So the movie Verotica, it's an anthology with three different stories. You, you don't understand that people, I, I am a sucker for a bad, good film, okay? I, I prefer them over good films. Movies like The Room, movies like Troll 2, like these movies are, movies like Birdemic, these movies are religion to me and they have been for 20 years. Like it's, I, I've had most of these things on VHS. Can we go back to Troll 2 for a second? There's, Not yet because there's too much. There's terrible movies, but then there's like that. That's level. my point. Okay. The greatest, worst movie ever made. Oh my God. That's... Yeah. Uh, what is he, what he says like um, the thing about like eating your veggies, you piss, you don't piss in the face of gratitude, bro. We could talk, but anyway, <laughs> Verotica is that level. There are people who said I haven't seen a disaster piece like this since the room. Tommy Wiseau's the room. Mm -hmm. You can't even believe this movie. You can't. The first story is about a girl whose nipples are mouths. This is like real. It like, sounds like a TikTok. Bro, it's like a 90-minute TikTok fever dream. It's the worst acting, worst effects, because he just hires porn stars to play the roles. Oh, and he just did another one, like a fucking lesbian vampire cowboy movie. Bro, just anyone out there, look up Glenn Danzig Films. You will find Verotica somewhere. Just trust me. Get either drunk or eat some edibles and watch it. And then watch the credits so you can see that written by Glenn Danzig. Produced by, produced by Glenn Danzig. Yeah. Filmed by Glenn Danzig, yeah. directed by Danzig, you know. Score, Glenn yeah. Danzig. So essentially what you're describing is the video for the song, How the Gods Kill. <laughs> yeah, 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 But like, yeah, full length. 
We can tie it back in because Glenn Dead is a boomer. There's a, there's there's 100%. an extreme there's an extreme example of that. But yeah, I know where you were going with it. You were going you were talking about like the Misfits, Sam I Am, yeah. everything up leading up Come to on, Misfits dancing. Yeah. is just it's iconic, man. Half the like young girls now are walking around with Misfits shirt, having no idea what they're wearing. God and, bless them. And to be honest, to Danzig, I mean, he does have an iconic voice. Oh, he does. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's like he's yelling. I, I, I can't even. Mine sounds like James Hetfield. He's he, let's be honest. He's trying to combine Jim Morrison, yes, with Roy Orbison. Can I do the start about boomers? Go. All right, boomer, and then we'll and then we'll take the break. Boomer parents, in my opinion, they they were generally molested and diddled and passed around, and their parents were drunks and their parents were racist, and they grew up in a very different era. Now the thing is. A lot of them had this ideal of, I'm not going to repeat the parenting that happened to me because it was crappy, but then they did all just repeat it. There was nothing systematically in place to have them change it, but they also didn't necessarily look for changing it. Because like, here's the thing, a couple things about boomers. You're boomer parents. You weren't going to get praised for anything artistic you did, period. Matter of fact, they're going to hate you a little bit because that could be time that you spent learning a trade. They already didn't understand that the price of living had quadrupled since they were our age. So it starts with an area of resentment. If you're not moving out right at 18, if you don't have a career or a family right at 18, they pushed the ideals on our generation that they had pushed on theirs, even though those ideals made them miserable. That's what's really interesting, you know? But the thing they carried over that was the most dangerous, in my opinion, was a huge aspect of boomer parenting. And even before that, like, golden age, but we're not going back that far, was the idea of, like, women didn't want to tell their parents they were raped. Not for any other reason than that. From that dichotomy, girls were being asked, like, what they were wearing. Or, like, why were you at the party drinking? Like, it would never, ever be, oh, my God, honey, we're sorry, Camille, let us give you a hug. It would be a cross-examination of what you did to deserve the act. Yeah, victim shaming. 100%. Yeah, yeah and it doesn't just, to me, it doesn't just go with uh, molestation and sexual assault. It it, it, it kind of umbrellas across every oh, kind of theme. The way like we, that. like, the way yeah. they would, like, you know, parents back then, too, would be like, oh, you're, you're, my dad would always be like, oh, you're, you're getting fat, shit like that. It's stuff that parents now wouldn't say to their kids because it does damage but they didn't have any idea the damage they were necessarily doing. Mm-hmm. All right, so yeah, and I'm gonna come. At, I'm gonna do my usual. I'm gonna come at it from a different because there are positives. Oh, there, 100%. there, are, there are positives. 100%. But, but yeah, I agree with what you're where you're going with this, and that the net gain is a negative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll play a song. We'll come back as always. We'll just jump off from there. Sound like a plan? Mother, tell your children not to hear my words. I tell your children not to see my pants. Mother, say I'm all dear. I said, Mother. What she did say is listen to the Odyssey. <laughs> oh, nice.
game show vibes. Yeah, I hear that too. Yeah. I'm hoping it's not coming across on the microphones. All right. It's kind of funny if it sounds like we're filming this at a carnival. Yeah, we're <laughs> we're back. <laughs> and, you know, I have to go back before, before I let Bobby grab the mic here and sort of just um, decimate y'all with some knowledge. I don't hate my parents. We don't hate our parents no. at all. They they repeated the behavior they learned. They were never praised. They were never... The, the ideal of them working from 16 on was pushed on them. And unfortunately, there weren't enough examples of healthy parenting for them to understand that it was unhealthy, you know? But I think to people's credit, the new generation saw how fucked up they did it. And they seem to be raising their kids better. More open dialogue, more acceptance of... Man, that was another thing. Oh, my God, Bobby, take this. What was it like when you had depression in the 90s? Could you tell your parents? Mm, you couldn't tell anybody, but no, you couldn't. Yeah, it would no. just be like, well, so I want to kind of jump off here because this is more of my upbringing. This is more of my uh, culture. I'll yeah. use that term. Yeah. I was raised in an Irish Catholic <sighs> household. For anybody who doesn't know or has never really learned about Buddhism, we, we, we pretend we do in, this, in, our, in the Western culture, but we don't. I actually took a psychology class on non-Western theories of personality, and it, focused, it focused on Asian religions and ways of life because they don't really look at it. Philosophies, yeah. Yeah, they don't look at it as religions. But at Buddhism, Siddhartha, by the way, Siddhartha is the, yeah, is the original Buddha. So there are basically three principles to Buddhism. The meaning of life is to suffer. The goal of life is figure out like the meaning of your suffering yeah, find it. and ultimately yeah. to reach enlightenment to end your uh reincarnation to get off the wheel of life so that's what they believe in reincarnation mm -hmm. it's like you're building up karma you're building up karma through your lives and when you build it up enough you really you be, you get to a point where they call it moksha liberation yeah yeah uh so i i feel that Irish people and people who follow Buddhism have a very similar outlook on life. Oh, interesting. So when I, you brought up uh, like depression, for example. So mm -hmm. if, yeah, if you're saying you're pressed, you're sad, you're all that, what's an Irish parent going to say to you? That's life. That's life. I realized that, guess what? You realized it younger than I did. Yeah. Suck it up, buttercup. You know, I mean, that's literally what. It, oh, yeah. What if it they're like. nice, you get yeah. that. But then you throw, you throw the Catholicism into it. And, and if you got like, you got Old Testament kind of kind of upbringing it's like well guess what that's because god hates you yeah you're you're paying yeah. back his sins you're yeah he's paying back yours though. yeah god died for you and that's why you get to live uh, you get to live in in squalor and, and pain and misery so to answer your question going back to answer your question yeah growing up in the 90s mental health as a child and adolescent teenager young adult was hey i tried it with my dad and he I, i'll never forget it he was like Essentially, what the fuck do you have to be sad about? And I was trying to explain to him that it's not literally necessarily something that's in my world. It's in my head. It's an imbalance. And it was just always like, it, it ended up kind of being like, oh, you're a pussy. I had it together at your age. I, I You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's like, I had to explain to him, yeah, but this is a different time. Yep. So different. Violence is different. Relationships with different sex is different. Everything's changed. But... They only have the basis of what they experienced. His thing was like, I had a house at 18 and was in the army. Yeah, but dude, you've been miserable your whole life. Mm -hmm. I'm watching you not be happy with what you built, and you're asking me to repeat that? Yep. Like, what? If anything, you know? And that, that's why, like, wanting to write and do that was so serious to me. Because I had this double side to it. As much as I want to do it for me, I wanted to show the people in my life, like my father, that if you are good at something and you adore it and you pursue it, doesn't matter if it's impossible. You can make it happen. He was shocked. And his, his attitude toward me changed, sadly enough, but good enough, that when my website had millions of hits, he was like, oh, 
this is what you were saying you could do. Mm, yeah. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, and I see that you're, he's like, you're writing shit that reaches people and you're helping people. I'm like, yeah. So I was lucky enough. That was right before his like full Alzheimer's took over. He got to observe that, you know? That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I was yeah. really, really lucky. But man, it was a weird time to come up. Yeah. So I want to, I'm just going to do a self-disclosure here because this is just my feelings about, uh, I'll use my dad, for example. So I know in previous episodes, I've talked about him being uh, just a flower child, hippie and all that. And he was, he was free spirited, you know, he, him and his friends would like free create easy rider they, and, and all kinds of things. But on the, on the opposite end, you had my grandfather who was a carpenter in the Boston unions. He helped build modern day Boston. Wow. And he was similar to that, you know, 18 years old, he was a carpenter, he was a tradesman, he went to war, he started a family, he owned a home and then moved his family in a different into a different area. And then I'm sure my father had that pressure on him from him. Like, you know, I had my, my shit together when I was this age. Why don't you have your shit together? And then on top of that, excuse me, you throw in tragedy. So my, uh, my aunt, who I never got to meet, she died in 1967. She was 23 years old. She was married. She was pregnant. And she uh, suffered from kidney disease. And this was before dialysis was, oh, wow. was widespread available. And so she agonizingly passed away and they couldn't save the child and from the stories my father told me and everything i mean this is like when he really embraced that mm -hmm. and he really embraced counterculture and he really him and his friends really embraced drugs and when i look back on like when i was his age that my friends and i were and my brother and every we were doing the same things yeah we were in the late 90s early 2000s and we're self-medicating because the what the drugs did for us is it gave us an opportunity to escape kind of the things we were going on and i see i see him kind of doing that too because but his was on a level that's like that's i understand that pain yeah i understand that i understand it i never experienced that i'll give my parents credit for that that i never experienced things like that but at the same time like i still went through my struggles and yeah just because you didn't go through that exact thing doesn't undermine that you went exactly. through things you know exactly and and that's I bring, the other thing not to cut but just really quick they, with boomers it always felt like it was a comparison battle yeah they were always like, oh, well, at your age. Oh, well, here. Oh, well, that there. Don't, like, don't undersell the role of materialism. <laughs> Dude, take it away. Yeah, like materialism with boomers. I mean... Uh, they came up in the 80s. That yeah, was I, was, I was going to say, when, when hippies turned into yuppies, and they just fully embraced like success and money and everything that they said, quote unquote, they, I'm putting my air quotes here, they stood for. Yeah. When they were in their you know, teens and 20s, they just said, fuck it. And, they, and some of it, you could call it, for some of them, yeah, they sold out. Well, think about how a lot of those hippies went... You know, who do you think got the jobs at the CIA? Who do you think got the jobs? You know, let's not forget our involvement in trafficking cocaine and crack into the country. Like, so it's complicated, but the people who were the heroes literally became the bad guys. Yep. Literally. They mm -hmm. went from He-Man to Skeletor. Are you trying to say that we were in the middle of the war on drugs and we were also assisting the people we were fighting <laughs> yeah providing guns to the enemies and, and if you don't pick up on my sarcasm there we can just add the war on drugs to another war we've lost <sighs> we could just that i mean if i think we haven't but if if we haven't we need to tackle that because i mean it, but again they didn't because it's a propaganda war and here we are still reciting its taglines mm -hmm. yeah so other things that i wanted to bring up in this episode one specific topic because remy and i we grew up in the suburbs we're, suburb we're suburban kids and all that. And there's this idealism that's created and perpetuated to this day. This is beyond generations, but it really hung up because white flight really started to take off as, as boomers started to be adults and started to 
own homes and this stuff and the white flight from cities and all that. And people just make, they make the suburbs out to be paradise and Camelot and that black people are just left impoverished, which they were. I'm not saying they weren't. Yeah, they, yeah. we're they were undermining that at all. They, they were. We they can were. only tell our side of the story. But our story is about growing up in the suburbs. And my, an overall theme I've always had about growing up in the suburbs is the suburbs are just as fucked up as a city. It's just people don't talk about it. People ignore it because in the suburbs, you, you create your reality or your delusion. Well, yeah. I mean, y- you can even say like almost inarguably that, you know, the kidnaps and child molestations and kids getting dragged into cars in the 80s, a lot of that was in suburbia. That wasn't necessarily an urban blight nor urban violence. It happened. Don't make any mistakes about it. But there is an emphasis, I think, and and when you think suburbia, you picture the mom in the the apron making dinner and the family waiting. But what you don't picture is the mom's brother. You picture Audrey from uh, (laughs) Little Shop of Horrors. Horrors. Yeah, but I mean, the reality is she's making dinner blissfully unaware that every time you go to, and this isn't me, this is an example, though. Every Mm -hmm. time you go stay at her brother's, your uncle's, he's diddling you. Yeah, like like with Charlie, bringing it back to why we started this episode, based off yeah. of the conversation we had. It's always sunny, you know. It's always sunny. literally his mom presenting as the, refusing to accept it. The all American mom, while she's a whore, and she's refusing to acknowledge that his uncle Jack is molesting. That she enables that, you yep. know. And as much as it's always sunny, approaches those things as jokes. Everything they approach is a sense of realness to it, and the idea of that is the it, it's it's the boomer sensibility of like my hand could be on fire. But it's only a problem if I see it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So as long as I look away from my hand being on fire, my hand's not on fire. Yeah. Because to me, what the logical step is in that kind of pathology, and what I mean by pathology is that mind, that thinking, yeah, yeah. that frame of Learned mind. behavior. Yeah. Is if I don't see it, it didn't happen. If I don't want to see it, it doesn't, ha- it doesn't exactly. have to happen. It's not happening. If I never admit that it happened, it didn't yep. happen and it's not my fault. Yeah, it's, yeah, Exactly. And so you have a generation of kids and, you know, males and females that were children of boomers who our parents still don't know necessarily that some of us were diddled by people they respected. And I had, um, I had a very unique experience growing up in that I had very few friends who had boomers for parents. Yeah. What I had, well, I, yeah, I had friends that their parents were like right on that cusp of boomers and Gen X. Mm-hmm. They was like they were they would be like older Gen X's like we're talking like 1960 and you really see it play out and I through my living and experiences and and the conversations I could have with them and they could talk about everything you're just mentioning just getting the shit kicked out of you on a daily basis learning how not to be a parent because I think that ties into the pendulum swinging the other way mm. and we had participation trophies and helicopter parents and all these people because they, they wanted to nurture. They wanted to. They didn't want to repeat it, but they overemphasized yeah. it. Yeah. And so, even if they didn't exactly recreate it, they created a like a different they kind of a different problems. bubble, and yeah. it's a different bubble of yep. problems. Yeah. And what I because why well, to to ask why everything in extremes? Why can't we just find a median where you don't have to helicopter a kid, but you also don't have to work forty five hours a week and only ask your kid once a month how they're doing because you never see them? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the other thing about our generation is it was the first generation of parents that had to work. Yeah, because I, I did. Um, I I know you wish you were on that Latchkey Kid episode that I did in season yeah, that one. Was a huge part of my life. Uh, because I think that that benefited us latch by being a Latchkey Kid. Again, for people who don't realize, again, like you were saying, parents working, so you're you're home alone. Mm-hmm. I was my sister was twelve years old, babysitting an eight year old and a five year old. Yeah, same scenario. Like th- today, someone would call child services. Like, but it worked. You all yeah, survived. Yeah, we survived. We, I feel like that made me more resilient. 
Yo, can I say something interesting about the latchkey period? It really fucking bothers me. Yeah. Okay. Now, my latchkey was literal. Was yours literal? Like you had a literal latchkey? No. Okay. Mine was literal. Listen to this for a minute. This is exactly what the fuck we're talking about in this episode. Okay. Remy, blah, blah, blah. I got to work. Parents divorced. Mom's got to work all the time. You got to walk yourself home from school. You got to let yourself in this. You got to let yourself home. Oh, that's what you meant by like, yeah. 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 Um, but mine was I thought, you, I thought you meant like a physical latch kind of key. Well, the thing <laughs> is, so my mother, this is, this is what I'm getting to. My mother one day comes over and she's like, oh, here. And gives me the house key on a yellow necklace, on a yellow piece of string. Now, looking back, what a great way to let the people who are driving by this kid at 2.30 in the afternoon while he's walking in a mile and a half home to let them know that if you just follow him... You get him and a house. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what I mean was yours yeah. literal. Mine was literal. And then finally one day I was like, shouldn't I have this on a fucking keychain? Isn't this a stupid thing for me to have on my neck when I'm walking down, not a joke, Route 18 in Weymouth? That might mean nothing to all of you guys, but it's a pretty busy fucking major road. That's no big deal. It's just a road that goes all the way from Quincy to, to New Bedford. Yeah, it's only a great way to traffic kids out of their state immediately. And I had so many instances like people people pulling over on the road and being like, hey, can you help me? I'm lost. And it's like, I'm fucking five. I yep. know what you're about to do. So I was trained to run. But like, no, I literally had a please molest me yellow ribbon around my neck. And I, I that's when I look back on boomers and I'm like, uh, did you want me to get raped? I don't know. I, I look back on my youth, but I realized they just didn't know what the fuck they were doing. Yeah, because one thing, going back, it's somewhat the ideal, it is the idealism, but it's also these things that they try to indoctrinate and plant into us as kids Mm -hmm. is like, like you were saying, by this age, you got to do this, by Mm -hmm. this age, you got to do this, by this age, you got to do this, you got to go to college, you got to get a college education or you're not successful, and all these things, and yeah, I'll, I'll speak for myself, as someone in my 20s, yeah, when I wasn't hitting those benchmarks, at some point I said, well, fuck that. And I, and I live my life the way I live my life. But yeah. yeah, there's a time when you're developing and you're just like, you're, you're filled with anxiety and dread alone just because of shit like that. And I was like, I'm never going to be the person they want me to be. I don't live in a world that really allows that. They want me to be them at 20 and that's a dead world. Yeah. My fucking dad bought a house for $25,000. Like, get away from me. This house we're in right now was bought for $28,000. Yeah, you guys, we're in a million-dollar house probably right now, like legitimately across from Boggs, beautiful. We won't say too much, but like... <laughs> exactly. even, we won't tell you where the cocaine's buried. <laughs> and even in like 91, when my dad bought the lot in Plymouth and built the house, I bought a lot a quarter mile from a beach, a private beach, in an estate, and he bought the lot and built the house for hundred twenty grand. A house that we, in the 90s, that we sold for a million to get him care. But that's what I mean. How can we be who you want us to be when that model doesn't exist that's, anymore? That, that's not a reality that exists for us. Like, dear parents right now, your kids are spending $5 plus on a gallon of gas. They're spending $5 plus on a gallon of milk. They're spending $3 on a cup of yogurt that costs you two fucking quarters. Like, it's not the same world. I think the new generation of parents at least is aware that, okay, my kid is complicated and nuanced, mm-hmm. and I need to at least be aware of that and be more gentle, because that's the only thing. We could have used parents in the 90s being more gentle with us. And this is where I'll stick up for parents in, nurt- in the nurturing role, the boomers and in, in that. You remember when I spoke to you about it was like a webinar for my work. Yeah. And I talked to individuals who were on the spectrum who could articulate. And they were 
the webinar was about working with people on the spectrum. Yeah. And one thing that historically that this uh, this individual brought up is his uh, in the 1960s there was a very famous research that came out about autistic children in the 60s and the 70s. And do you know what their number one go to was? This is what they this is what they said. This is this is a significant contributor to how individuals formed autism. Dungeons and Dragons? No, 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 no. It's even <laughs> it's even it's even more heinous than that. Drugs? No, no. Okay. So at the moment of birth, the mother does not connect with the child quick enough and for long enough time before they take it and the child to the nursery. So it's her fault. And so it's yeah. Yeah. No wonder they hate us. Yeah, yeah. But but to be fair, to like you said, in the 80s, this re- it really started to change with people with autism. And I'm just bringing that up as an example. Wow, that of, is crazy. That's, that was medicine at the time. That was that was medical field at the time saying, oh, your child's autism because you're not a nurturing person. It's, it's your fault, And Mom. it's more, I'm sorry, but that's that, uh, I fucking hate to sound cliche, but Let's that's play, that patriarchy shit. And how did that play out in, a, in, a, in, the, in the nuclear family dynamic? Well, you had a, uh, you know, then you had a generation of mothers who were constantly questioning if they yeah. did it, if yep. they did it right, you mm-hmm. know? It's self-perpetuating, you know? You, you realize that everything that happened is, it's all been very institutional. Now's the first time because of the web where families and adults are educating themselves. And so, you know, we can avoid their children going through what we went through, and that's great. Yeah. But I also think we got to meet in the middle of the ground because you can't give every kid who participated a trophy. It, it, it counterproductive to the idea of healthy competition. I have a friend and I'm going to, this is an AIM story. It's a fantastic AIM story. Speaking to that, we were having a conversation on AIM 20 something. Bob loves AIM discussion. 20 something years ago. I love the door. I love that, you know, oh, I got to talk to my friend and they just went off. (laughs) Son of a bitch. Yeah. All right. But we were taught, we were having a conversation about the first time in your life when you realized an adult was bullshitting you. And he said it was eight years old. He had done this uh, class project, and he submitted it, and he knew it wasn't good. But when he submitted it, what did the teacher, who was a boomer, do? Yeah. Um, oh, my goodness. This is so beautiful. awesome. The greatest thing. It's an A+. Plus. Yeah. And it's like, you could have just, I know it's a piece of shit. You could just tell me it's a piece of shit. I can take it. What, so why can't you do that? What are you not telling me? What is wrong? What is it? Yeah, it still like, a different sense yep. of doubt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then... I forget the uh, public speaker. He he. Uh, it came out like five, six, seven years ago, uh, when he talked about the issue with young adults in the workforce, because they haven't they haven't received that constructive feedback that's healthy and beneficial and to necessary. people's growth. Yeah, yeah. So the first time they get it is when they're young adults and they don't know what the fuck to do, that? and and that's problematic. And and this is mm. that, but that's on the pendulum swing of like what our upbringing was. No, and I, I yeah. Let's just continue to hope that the evolution of society and of humanity works also in the sense of the family dynamic because it's just it's a different thing than it was when we were children and the pendulum effect like you said there there needs to be a place where we can be like yo good job but you didn't win how many couples stayed together for the kids i know but i mean did you but you knew parents who did that yeah well that was that's that old um that older dynamic, and I think that that's... I'm glad that that doesn't happen as prevalently today. But Blink-182 has a song called oh, Stay Together yeah. for the Kids, you know? And it's like, and... and it, I, All I can tell you, Bob, is it, it does happen just as much. It, it does, but it's not, like, as prevalent. No, and I don't think it's... it. But 
keep in mind the people who might be doing it now were raised by boomers. And this circles back to the beginning of the conversation is, you know, we get indoctrinated. A lot of my friends were indoctrinated in the anti-drug propaganda. would be like hanging out, smoking weed, and they'd be like, oh, yeah, man, fuck drugs. This stuff's dangerous. This is just marijuana. But it's like, don't you get marijuana was part of the propaganda? Like, yeah. But it's but not I, a part of my propaganda. Yeah, but yet it is because you're repeating, you're repeating it. You know what I'm saying? We've all memorized that stuff. But yeah, no, but, and I feel bad because there, there did become this real fallout for boomers, what, like about five years ago is when it started with the OK Boomer and all that. Yep. But I, that was a very crucial time because that gave me an in to discuss it with my mom mm-hmm. legitimately and be like, all right, we need to talk. I'm like, you realized, right, that like there was levels of absentee parenting when stuff was going wrong because, again... If I don't address my kid on him coming home with black eyes, it's not an issue, you know? And it's like, don't let the sins of the fathers repeat. Or what you would get much like going back to when you would, we talked about victim shaming earlier. What'd you do? Yeah, exactly. What did you do to deserve two black eyes? That was super common for me. What did you do? And then what did you do about it? Yeah, it, it was... It was a very different time, and I think that my generation's good now. Like, listen to us. We're good now, and we have better relationships with our parents in mm-hmm. hindsight, because once we got older, we could be like, hey, I'm going to give you um, an exit interview. A, gr- a great conversation I had with my dad when I was in my late 20s was we were sitting out on the pool deck. For people, obviously, who don't know, can't see, I'm pointing out to it because it's on the other side of these doors. And <laughs> he was a little loose. He'd had a few beers. Uh, he wasn't hammered, but he he turned to me and he and he kind of was he was having a conversation with me about parenting, and he he was saying without saying that he felt like he failed, and he didn't fail. I want to make that clear yeah, about no, my no, parent, no. my father. He didn't fail, and I told him that I'm like, you didn't fail. I mean, what he was saying is, you know, I had this ideal of what it was to be the perfect parent, and I never met that ideal, and I'm sorry. And then what my what I said to him is, and I'll I'll say this very delicately. Because the, I'm talking about people without naming names that I truly care about and, and view as family. I explained to him that him and my mom were the safe haven, especially for my sister's friends, but they were a safe haven in a world of chaos in the suburbs. We had My sister had friends that stayed with us for three months yeah, in their lot. senior year of high school. And, and that was because of, like, just the dynamics going on around them. And so I was trying to, like, build him back up. Saying, yeah, to let like, him know. Like, why do you think they call you mom or dad? They don't. They don't call you. Oh, hey Tom. They don't say that. No, they call you dad, or they call. They don't call you Betsy. They call you mom. That's my parents. Yeah, names, I had by a similar way. thing with my dad too, because we we lived in the neighborhood in Plymouth, and it was it was a place where you would, our driveway was where you'd cross from one of the estates to the next estates, and we'd let kids walk through it to go to the beach and stuff. And so, but he didn't know that. Like, so my dad would free dive and just catch lobsters by hand. And he'd come out of the ocean with like, and he had the little measuring thing. Like he knew how to do it all legally, but he would free die for lobsters. Your dad was like Ernest Hemingway meets the Dos Equis guy. Dude, he was so fucking cool. And so he'd be down the beach all the time, even when I wasn't. And a lot of times my friends were down there or whatever, he'd just come out and give him four or five lobsters, you know, because he'd be heading home just walking by. And he didn't know that like the people in the neighborhood like saw him as like you just said. Like just a cool, like nice, but like don't fuck with him either. Yeah. And he didn't know that. And it was in the last 10 years. And I was like, dude, my friends still ask about you. But I think it's good that your dad and my dad maybe thought that they didn't make it. Yep. Because that made him work harder. At, at, And it also made us, gave us the ability to say, hey, listen, it didn't turn out awesome, but we're here. 
We're healthy. Mm -hmm. We don't have prison records. We don't have ex-wives. We're doing all right. Yeah. And um, I actually, after my father passed away, I had a conversation with my sister. So my sister's about 10 years older than me. Yeah. And we both agreed. Like the, the parents I got were not the same parents uh-huh. that she got. Yeah, me too. My, my yeah. older brother's seven years old. Yes. And it's, it just is what it is. I mean, you know, there are t- I talked about it in the Latchkey Kid episode. Like my sister is like a, a fellow caregiver to me as much as she is a sibling. You know, there were times, especially once she went to college, it felt like it was just my brother and I. Yeah. It was just two, two kids. And he had a very similar upbringing to me, but I mean, I was, I got the benefit of many things. I got the benefit of two parents that had hit the kind of their, um, the prime of their uh, careers. And that what came with that was things that didn't exist for my sister when they were in their mid twenties. Yeah. Uh, so that, so see, see everyone, I'm bringing it back around. Cause I, you know, as, as much as we live in a world of rain literally today and, yeah, and just nice. depression, this, uh, I can bring it back around and put a cherry on top. That I give credit to my dad. My dad had a positive mindset like that. Well, yeah, the other thing I will say, you know, because I talked a little shit, but let me also put in some love for them. Like, he was cool, man. Like, early on, he's like, listen, if anybody punches you in the face, punch him in the face. You don't really do that anymore. You don't hear parents doing that. It was a tough love time. But they would, in their own way, be like, they would worry, but they were raised that you kind of stay out of it, I think, still. You know? Yeah. And... Another thing that needs to be said, they were doing something right, okay, because we were the last generation of no school shooters. Hear that again. We, in the late 90s, were the last generation of no school shootings, period, point blank, none. There was no kid who came into school with the gun. There was no... I'm hoping I hit the right one. Nope. No, that's Didn't hit the right one. But yeah, it, it just wasn't an option for us. We didn't discuss that with each other. It wasn't an option. So they had to have done something right because none of my friends, let me repeat that, zero, had a fucking armada in their basement or a gun with a, with a stock clip so they can take out 700 people in three minutes. So something has changed quite a bit. And as much as we might be talking shit, they did something right because we would have our beefs Sometimes you'd go into school and some kid would have a problem with you. You'd fight them maybe, but it would end. You didn't have to worry after that. The next day he was coming with a gun or a knife or was going to try to like meet you in your driveway. So they did something right. I'm not sure what it was, but that proves it to us. And also we defended ourselves and I don't know how that falls now, but a lot of my life, and I'm not talking about punching people in the jaw who disrespect you. I'm talking about, yo, don't talk to me that way. Boundaries. Exactly. Self, self boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there were some things they did right. My dad was one of the few, but sat down with me in the seventh grade and said, Hey, Rem, I'll never forget this. You know, Portuguese boomer, whatever. So, okay, Rem, listen, um, if you ever sleep with a drunk girl, I'll beat the shit out of you. I'm like, what? He's like, Yeah, listen, your generation does not understand that that's rape. If she's fucked up and she can't necessarily consent, she's making out back, it's because she's drunk. He's like, all she has to do the next day is wake up and be terrified and, you know, but he put it in me. He's like, don't do any of that shit. And that's stuff that did go on in the 90s. I have a similar story to that, but it's a, it's actually a, it's a positive story. It's a, it's about um, safe sex. Mm-hmm. 
So I was at a friend's house. A bunch of us were there. We're talking and we were just bullshitting. And my friend's mom happened to walk by and hear someone say something about a condom. And she just literally beat and she just walks through us, doesn't look at anybody. And she just goes, I'm going to tell you guys right now, if I hear any of you guys are having sex without a condom, I'm going to kick the fucking shit out yeah, of you. Yeah, that's 90 shit. And, and like one of them, uh, the, one of the younger guys, we, I was probably like 1920s. There was probably someone there who was 18 who was like, I don't know what to say. His mom just said that. And it's like... <laughs> There it is. Yeah, yeah, we applaud. But that's what they did. And my dad would do this. He'd buy me condoms and be like, listen, blah, 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 blah. And he he taught me young that like the lines that shouldn't be crossed. So there were people doing it right. You know what I mean? There really were. But I think the over under on boomer parenting, just to kind of sum it all up, Net was negative. And, yeah. and I think that it's it's the, if I don't see it, dot, 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 ideal. Mm-hmm. And I think that's super fucking dangerous. And I know yep. that unfortunately... You know, my mom didn't know, but like one of her bosses, like she kind of helped him groom me, but she just thought he was like a nice guy. And she thought because it was her boss, but she had no idea what was actually going on, you know, and there was a lot of that, too, in the 80s and 90s. We're like, yeah, take my kid out for ice cream for the afternoon, not even humoring. Wait, why would a grown man want to take a kid out to ice cream? That's not a nephew or something. So there was that blind eye oblivion, too, that sucked because you could be getting diddled and you could come home like. Another good example. In the seventh grade, for some reason, I discovered no dose caffeine pills. And every kid in Weymouth was like, do fucking no dose till you puke. So we were all doing no dose. You know what I mean? And one day in school, I did like 13. And I was just, I was like a baby on cocaine. I was like bouncing off the walls of my classroom. I remember it was my, it was my math class in the seventh grade. And then I just fucking honked everywhere. I just started puking like the exorcist. So, like, my mom came and picked me up, right? And, like, but she's not, she's, like, looking straight. And she's, like, she's doing that thing again where it's, like, no, it's fine. Everything. I don't know what's going on, but it's fine. Later, I found out she found my Nodos and my Playboys and just threw them away and didn't discuss it with me. Dude, listen, Mom. I'm going to remove this from my home. And we're never going to talk about this no, again. No, no. That just made me want more porn and more drugs. You say this shit's fucked up. When I moved in with my dad and he found my porn, oh my God, it was the best speech of my life. He's like, that shit's weak. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, that's not sex, right? I'm like, what do you mean? I saw them. They were fucking. He's like, yeah, but that's not how you treat a woman. That's all portrayal. That That's... So, like, it was crazy because my dad was like this big Portuguese guy. My mom insisted that he was, like, callous and feelingless, but... He had more discussions about respecting women than the woman in my family did with me. Wow. Yeah. And my mom was a feminist and my sister was a feminist. So it was, it was almost like they were just too afraid to breach it again. You know what I mean? So the big takeaway is they would put a hand over their eye. And if, if they're not seeing it, it's not happening. Yeah. And that was it. That's it in a nutshell. Whether it was violence, whether it was racism. If they didn't have to deal with it directly. You know how many times I got suspended that like I'd be home for the weekend or like for a couple of days. And like my dad didn't even know. Because he was working so much and they just couldn't reach him and shit, you know? But just don't... We're talking about this because don't do that. Yeah. Being a parent can be scary and overwhelming. And you might not want to talk to your kid about the weird porn you found on his computer. But you probably should. But we can't repeat this. Like I said, the sins of our fathers. We can't repeat them. And take notes. Oh, my God. Always, You're always going to learn. Both sides are always going to be learning. No, I just meant on the porn. Take notes. <laughs> no, I clapped that one. That was a clap. I think that's a great way to sign ourselves off. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So everyone, take a break. Go have a cigarette. You know, watch your amputee porn. Like, <laughs> do it however you want. And we'll catch you on the next time, amputee porn or not. Mom and dad, we love you. Love you guys.